How y'all doing? Yeah? The winter has not killed your spirit yet? It's close to killing mine. I'll be honest with you, I'm not ready. And every day I'm finding out how more I'm not ready. But uh, yeah, my name is Ernie, church planning candidate here for you guys, uh, planning 2021. Got some news for you guys about uh, the church plant that we're really excited about. We have our first teammate joining the team. His name is Nate Gustafson. He's going to be one of the community pastors. He's coming. He's supposed to, yeah, we give a hand at right? Yeah. Nate's going to be joining us. He, if you didn't get a chance to meet Nate when he showed up with his wife a couple weeks ago, he's going to be at conference with his wife. I'd really encourage you to go meet him, get really excited about him. If you'll see us at the church planning booth, and then on Friday at 630, we'll be talking about things about the church plant that we're excited about that God's going to do. And there's also going to be a group there with him that is going to be wearing purple as well. It's going to be a handful of students that will be coming from TCU uh, that are excited about being a part of the church plant and some other people. Can you just do me a favor? When, look, you guys know about conference. Most of you have been to conference. You know Iowa. You know how to move around the city kind of or what maybe you do, maybe don't. I don't know, but you know more than they do. And they're showing up and there's going to be a sea of people and they're going, what is all this? So if you see somebody wearing a purple TCU shirt on Friday, please grab them and say, hey, hang with us, get to know us, go out and hang out with us after a conference on Friday night, come out with us, get to know us. We'd love, I, that would just be such an amazing thing for you to do. But um, yeah, I'm really excited about the C conference for the first time to be a part of it. It's going to be great. And tonight we're going to be looking at the second half of Ephesians 2. Are y'all ready? I'm ready. It's going to be great. I, I want to, before we look at the second half, I kind of want to rehash some of the things that Stephen did last week. I mean, wasn't his message amazing as he talked about how God has reconciled us to him through everything that he's done has nothing to do with what we've done. In fact, when you look at the first couple of verses in chapter two, he talks about how we're dead in our trespasses. There's no chance of us getting to God. And God acts on, on, on his own power for his own reasons, not because of anything we've done, but because of who he is, his grace and his goodness and his love that he decides to give to us. And through faith, and by grace through faith, we can have a relationship with them. I love that passage right there. I love that story because it's a truth I need to hear over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I love how Paul finishes it in 10. Did you catch that at 10? Look at it again. He says, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, right at the beginning, he says, we are his workmanship. He's naming us. And if you don't know what that word in Greek is, which you probably don't, it means poemo. And poemo, that word is the word we use for poem in English. See, what Paul is telling us is what God has done in our lives when he's transformed us dramatically from the inside out through his grace and his power and by his mercy and changed us completely is what he's changed us into something amazing. Because what is a poem? It's a work of art. And so what God has transformed us in in that moment is into a work of art, something that is beautiful, that we should see it and be amazed by it. That's what he's made you. In fact, the way that I like to think about it when I look at it is that not only are you just, you're not just any kind of art, like we're not talking about modern art because that's terrible, right? But that you are God's masterpiece of art, of what he's done in you and through you and to you. And the thing about art is, what is it meant to bring? It's meant to bring attention to the artist that made it, right? Like no one has ever gone to Italy and saw the statue of David and were like, man, David did a really good job statuing today. 
I mean, he held that pose all day. We would never say it because somebody said, it, like, you're insane. No, when you look at the statue of David, you go, wow, Michelangelo was truly a gifted artist. He was truly a gifted person. He was truly a genius in his craft. And see what in verse 10, what it tells us is that Jesus has made us his masterpiece of art, that those that would see our lives would look at him and go, wow, what amazing picture of transformation. Look at what God did. Look at how amazing he is. And that our purpose in being that work of art would be to reflect back to God who he is, that we'd be a masterpiece of trophy of God's grace, that he has taken us broken and messed up and redeemed us. And now here's the issue that, that's gonna get us into our text, okay? If that's what God has done in our lives as followers of Jesus, all right? The problem is, it, is, is that we don't often live like masterpieces of art that God has created, right? The problem is the way that we live, sometimes, really more than sometimes, doesn't line up with who he's made us to be. And I think one of the most glaring places this happens is what Paul's gonna talk about tonight, is that we have a lot of trouble getting along as the church. We divide and fight over everything. In fact, our community is such that when many people look into it, they're like, well, yours isn't much different than mine. We just fight about different things. You fight about the music and the color of the carpet. We fight about other stuff. It's just about the same. And see what the church was meant to be was meant to be a community that's marked by reconciliation and peace and stark contrast to a world that's fragmented and broken and tearing itself apart. We don't need too much evidence to realize that when you look out on the world today, that it is just falling apart. And we see it more because we have social media and TV and everything else. I mean, you can't even turn on the news without hearing some horrible story. Many of us don't even watch the news anymore. Because you hear stories about exploitation of people, of slavery, of just abusing people sexually of murder, of war. I mean, just stories of children being blown up and used as human bombs. And it's nothing new. It's there day after day after day after day. Like you don't have to look for too far to go, man, this world is a mess. And it's not just out there, it's here as well, right? It's in our families. How many of us in the room have two Christmases we go to because our families aren't together anymore? That God has broken our family, that, that our families have been broken. How many of us have people in the room that we don't even speak to anymore? Friends that we don't have anymore because there was some disagreement, there was some brokenness there, and we just aren't gonna go and deal with that. You have communities that you won't go to, places you won't go to, just, just a complete mess. See, guys, what we need to understand is this is that our sin didn't just cause separation between us and God, but it caused separation between us and one another. And what Jesus has done and the beautiful artwork that he's made within us that we're going to see is this, is that he didn't just reconcile us to himself, but he reconciled us to one another in him. See, if you're in here right now and you have a relationships in your life that you feel like there is no hope for reconciliation in that moment, 
that you feel like it's always gonna be broken, that it's always gonna be that way, I'm glad you're here. Because what we're gonna see as we look at the second half of Ephesians 2 is that's not true. That because of Jesus, any brokenness can be redeemed. Any relationship can be restored in him. That's amazing. Let's pray and let's look at the passage. Jesus, thank you so much that you weren't just worried about us and you, but you were worried about us together. And so, Lord, as we look at your word, let our hearts be convicted by the places that we've caused brokenness and strife. And Lord, let us seek restoration. That knowing in order for us to walk to you, we have to walk to one another. Jesus, we love you and we wanna live for your kingdom and your glory. Amen. Starting at Ephesians 2, verse 11, let's get there. It says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by what was called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the, covenant of the, to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Okay, so as we're gonna go through this second half of chapter two, you're gonna, first what, what's gonna happen is Paul's gonna give us the problem, then he's gonna give us the solution, and then he's gonna give us the result of that solution. Here's the problem right here, okay? We all start far from God and from one another, all right? Paul is writing to the Ephesians. A couple of things we need to understand about the Ephesians is there's two kinds of people he's talking about. He says Gentiles, those who are people who are uncircumcised. And he said Jews, those people are circumcised. If you don't know what circumcision is, Talk to the person next to you. If they don't, talk to your mom. I'm not talking about it, okay? All right, that's just the reality. But he talks about these two groups of people, and historically, these people don't get along, all right? The Jews and the Gentiles do not get along. They worship different gods. They worship, they had different cultures. There are things that they thought were more important. They, they both thought they were better than each other. And what has happened now is that Gentiles and Jews have become Christ followers, and they're part of the church in Ephesus, all right, predominantly Gentiles, but they're in the church of Ephesus and now they're having a hard time getting along. And, and it's like, well, why are they having a hard time getting along? I don't understand. There's some things you need to understand about Jews. What Jews were, guys, is they were the covenant people of God, meaning that God made a promise with them that he was going to bless them. And a sign of that blessing was circumcision. So that's why they were circumcised. It was a promise to them that they were different and set apart and that they were blessed for the purpose to be a blessing to others. That's what they were. And they, and they had certain advantages over Gentiles. Because they were Jewish, they, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the prophecy about a coming Messiah. They knew that, they knew that, uh, that there was gonna be one day, they knew that they could communicate with God and that there was a God and they had the temple where they can go and talk to him and deal with him and do business with him. But here's the reality about the Jewish people is they were a kind of people that had all the evidence and knew all the Bible information about God, but were very often not faithful to God. They would listen, they, would, they knew all the stories, had all the history with God, had all the relationships, seen all that kind of stuff like that, but they were very often not faithful to God. In fact, their story, if you look at the Old Testament, it often works like this, that there'd be a moment where God would have to discipline them and then they would repent and then there'd be good times and then they would, that would begin to wane and they would begin to rebel again and then God would discipline them again and it would go over and over and over and over. And you see this pattern play over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Not only that, as the people that were blessed by God for the purpose of blessing others, 
that God was looking at the Jewish people in the Old Testament to be the people that I'm gonna work through this nation to reach the world, they failed completely at that too. And they become a people that were very arrogant. They were people very arrogant and they were very uh, holier than thou and religious and self-righteous. That's who they become. In other words, guys, these were people that had history with God, but didn't follow God. And then there's the Gentiles. And these people didn't have any of the advantages of the Jews. In fact, the things that you see Paul say here are pretty tough things. He's like, hey, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant and the promise, having no hope without God in the world. Meaning they didn't have the advantages that the Jews did. If you were a Gentile that became a believer, you didn't have parents that told you about the Old Testament. You didn't hear about the coming Messiah. You didn't have the revelation of the Old Testament in front of you. In other words, these were people that didn't have any history of God. Does this kind of sound familiar? I know there's probably nobody of Jewish heritage in this room. But of two kinds of people that could be in this room that follow Jesus. Think about it. You got one who knows all the stuff, knows all about God, been to church their whole life, but they're not faithful to God. It was just a thing. Another group grows, grows up having absence of knowledge of God, no relationship with God, no future hope, no basis. One's thinking that the other one is annoying and doesn't want them to be around them, that they look at them and they stick their nose up to them, so I'm like, you're a sinner and you're terrible, and the other one says, what's with the stick up your butt? You're a stiff. Does that not sound familiar like some of us, some of our history? That some of us in the room, we went to church our whole life, but it's not until you came here that you found a relationship with Jesus and you were religious in your activities. And some of you have no history of church, but you met somebody and you got pulled into this room and all of a sudden you start following Jesus. You come from two completely different places. And here's the thing. The reason why they're fighting and the reason why we fight and have such a hard time reconciling with one another is that we've forgotten that we need the gospel. The picture he's painting in these verses is someone who is in absolute need of the gospel. Absolute need. See, those of you that grew up in church, you realized you needed the gospel, you needed Jesus, that your parents' faith wasn't enough for you. Those of you outside of the church that all of a sudden became believers, now you show up here and you now have no church history whatsoever. You, found, you realized that you needed the gospel and you responded to that. But here's the thing that's happened. Somewhere along the way, you stopped forgetting, you stopped believing or knowing that you need the gospel. or you didn't need as much of it as you thought. That you were lacking, that you said, I don't really actually need as much grace and mercy as that. And when you think you don't need grace and mercy, you don't tend to give it, right? You tend to be judgmental and divisive. Isn't that true? Like how quickly can we just start drawing circles and be like, oh, that person over there, Nancy is the worst. She does stuff and I would never, ever, ever, ever do that. I can't believe she did that. I would never. Can you believe that Carol said this to me? Karen is such a bee. I can't believe her. Unbelievable. Like I would never, ever, ever in a million years do those kind of things. 
It's so easy for us to say those things. Listen, I have to deal with, I've been working in college ministry for 15 years. I have to deal with people and trying to mediate their conflict. Here's something that's never happened. One person being completely in the wrong. Never happened. You know what the biggest issue that I have in trying to get them to reconcile is seeing their own wrong. That we're blind to it, we don't wanna admit it, or we marginalize it, it's not that big of a deal. Guys, the issue of why we have so much strife amongst us, so little reconciliation is because generally we're far from God and we're far from one another. That's what those verses are telling us. We need to realize we need grace and mercy and we need to give it as we've received it because when, we're, when we realize that we're broken and this is who we are in verses 11 and 12, that that's who we are, that it's easy to give grace and mercy because you need a lot of it. And in verse 13, he continues, he says, but now, the most beautiful but of all times right here, guys. He says, but now. Remember verse 11, he says, remember this is who you are, but now he's saying this is who you are at this moment in Christ Jesus, who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For by, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in its ordinance that he might create in himself a new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Here's the solution to our brokenness. You ready? That as we draw near to Jesus, he brings us together. But it has to start with us coming to Jesus. What does he say in verse 13? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And when we read that, we take it at face value and it is true to do that. That by saying, yeah, when, when Jesus died and I accepted that and I started to follow him, I was brought near to God. But listen, Paul is talking to a broader sense than just one person. He's talking to a community that's a little bit fragmented right now. And he's saying this, listen, as you have been brought near, you've been brought near to one another as well, that Jesus just hasn't reconciled you alone to him, but he's reconciled you corporately, plurally to him. Now that you're brought near to Jesus, you are near to one another. See, the blood of Jesus, the work that it has in your life is not just individually on you, but it's to one another. And what it does is it tells us to come near to him and near to one another, that we come near to each other that are in Christ. That would never work in any kind of conflict between two people that don't want anything to do with one another. And the Jews and Gentiles didn't want anything to do with one another. But it works in God's kingdom because he's divine and what he's offering is something completely different. And the reality is he can do it because he is the broker of peace in our life. Look at 14 at the very beginning. He says, after he says, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, he says, for he himself is our peace. And yes, he is our peace, meaning that we have peace before God, that we know where we're going. But he is also, guys, the peace broker in our life. The moment, the place of common ground that we can have with one another. And he's done it by removing the obstacles between us and others. What did he call it? Look back at your Bible. Look at 14, he says he, called, he, he removed the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in its ordinance. 
See, before we knew Christ, we were divided by our ethnicity, our culture, and our background. There were values, family values, and things that we would be completely in opposition with other people in this room if it wasn't for Jesus who brought us near to him and near to each other. It would absolutely be true. And he says he removed this, this dividing. When he talks about this dividing wall of hostility, what is that? It means the things that separate us from each other. The things that separate us from each other and the things that separated the Jews from the Gentiles was the Mosaic law. Because the reality about the Mosaic wall is, is that for the Jew, it was telling him how to live. And it was telling him how to be set apart from others. But for, but for the Gentile, it was telling him he could never belong. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose, the Messianic law ceased to be God's standard for regulating the life of his people. He removed the barrier. See, he said this, that, that by, when Christ died, he made the law of no effect. He nullified it so it was no longer binding. You understand that? As a Jew following the law, seeking your righteousness and doing what the law is, you could never obtain it. As a Gentile, you could never even follow it all because you weren't even Jewish. But here Jesus has removed the thing that separates them together and he's removed the things about us that have separated us so that he looks at us and says, hey, just look to me. I'm the common ground. And I'm the common ground, why? Because I'm creating something new in you. Look at 15 and 17. It says that while he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so that making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and people to those who are near. What did Jesus do? He brought peace to those who are far and near. How did he do that? By removing hostility, the walls that are between us, by making us one, by making us new. Jesus did God math. You wanna know how that works? My son says always, I don't know if you ever heard this, you ever heard of monkey math? No? My son does all the time. He's like, dad, what's, what's, what's two plus two in monkey math? And it's 22. Like you just put the numbers together. He calls it monkey math. I'm like, oh, that's funny. So he keeps doing that. And sometimes he asks me and I answer it the right way. He goes, no, it's monkey math, dad. You said it the wrong way. And I'm like, whatever. He's just making that up. But Jesus did something incredible here. God did something incredible. He had divine math where one plus one plus one equals one. That God plus a person and another person equals one person. And only he could do that. That he would transform us and change us. Look at about how Paul talks about this transformation in Galatians 3, verse 26 and 28. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are the son of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have been put in Christ. Therefore, neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no man and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, as we draw near to Jesus, 
not only has he removed the things that separate us from one another, but he has removed, guys, the things that we hold to as an identity that stop us from grabbing onto the identity that he's given us. It works kind of like this. Owen, can you come on up here? Y'all know Owen? Y'all give him a hand. Woo! Yeah, you could jump higher than that. Here, Owen, look, if you can kind of stand over there a little bit, go over about a couple more steps. Okay, so I just want to kind of paint a picture of what this looks like because I think it may help us understand this a little bit better. If you could imagine that, that stand right there, that music stand right there as being Jesus. I know it doesn't look like him at all. All right, he's not Swedish with blonde hair, uh, but he doesn't like that anyways. He was Jewish. But yeah, that right there, all right, is Jesus, all right? And then you got over here is you got Owen, okay? And Owen is your guy that grew up in church. He's religious. He's, you know, he knows all the things. He does all the right stuff. He gets his homework turned in in time. And then you got me over here, like, I don't even know what a Bible is. I don't even care about it. I'll, like, and, you know, and, I, and, my, and I'm seeking all these other kind of things that I want to do. I'm partying, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm, you know, you'd find me on Barstool all the time. That's who I would be, the guy that's on Barstool. And, and you see these two were completely opposite to one. And just imagine if we were completely opposite to one another, all right? And this is where we stood in our relationship to Jesus. And before we were following Jesus, we were walking away from him and pursuing other things. And he's pursuing religious activity. I'm pursuing this over here. But at some point we turned and began to follow Jesus, right? We looked at Jesus and said, okay, this is where I'm gonna set my gaze. I'm gonna set my attention. I'm going to follow you, okay? So as I start to follow Jesus, I'm already a believer, but as he's refining the outside of me to match the inside, all right, I begin to reflect his character, right? Right? And he does the same, you know? And then as I continue to follow Jesus, I begin to reflect the things that he cares about and I begin to identify with him more and more. Do you notice something that's happening? That as I move towards Jesus, who am I moving close to? You need to understand something. If we're moving towards Jesus, we have to move towards one another. You see that? Because as I move towards Jesus, and he moves toward Jesus, even if he only moves a little bit, what happens? We're drawn closer to him. We're drawn closer to each other. And that, thank you, Owen. You go ahead, give him a hand. All right. <laughs> Woohoo! You did so well. Yay. All right. But the thing you have to understand is this. The idea that we could be one in Christ but not one with one another as a church is a foolish idea. Because he's made us to be one. He's created us in something new inside of us. So as I reflect the character of God, I've now created common ground with people that I would never have common ground with. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Do you see that? See, what our world needs to bring the brokenness out of it is not more legislation. It's not having the right party and control. <laughs> it's not some new language to change our morality to fit the way we want to walk or live. But Christ who reconciles all things through himself and to himself and in himself. As Colossians 1 tells us that he be the center of all things. 
And as we walk towards him, we have to walk towards one another. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I've definitely experienced that. As I've come to grow towards walking in Jesus and learning what it is to be with him and to follow him, that there'll be things that God will pop up in my heart and mind about how I've sinned against people and wronged people and done things, and my heart becomes soft to that. And all of a sudden, what do I, what do I have to do? I have to go seek out somebody I haven't talked to in years and seek out restoration and forgiveness. Because the beauty of God's masterpiece is not that we'd be individually connected to him, but that we'd be corporately connected to him and to one another. And here's the amazing thing. Here's the result. Verse 18 through 22, he says, for through him, we are both have access in one spirit to the father. Through him, both, you know, both Gentile, Greek, all people. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you are also being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What's the result? The result is this, that we're one people, not two. See, before, this is the beautiful work of the gospel. That before we were divided by so many things, but now because of Christ, we are one people, we're the same people. And this is an amazing trip. There's some of you in this room, guys, that go like, no, I can't be the same as Ernie. I can't be the same as this person. I can't be the same as Stephen. Like those people are like really Christian. I'm like, I'm like kind of Christian. No, 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 no. See, Paul's gonna give us three pictures of the way that God has given us a future that, that we're the same that's really gonna encourage you. And some of you in this room go, I'm, of course I'm one of those people. And maybe this is a wake-up call that really, yeah, but so is everyone else. See, the first thing he says is this, is that we have the same access to the Father. He says, verse 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That access is the same because it comes to the same person. Not one of us has access to the Father except through Jesus Christ. No one earned their salvation. No one found it in a different way. It came through what Jesus Christ has done. And through that, we have received the same Spirit. You don't have a junior Holy Spirit. You don't have a second-rate access to God. Whatever your history is, whatever you've done before, whether you were religious or you didn't know much about God, you now have the same access point and the same Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't hold back at all. Why? Because you didn't earn it. He gave it to you. He gave it to you completely. The second thing, he says, we're part of the family. Look at verse 19. He says, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you realize this? That you're a citizen of heaven? Meaning you're entitled to all the rights and privileges of being a son or daughter of the king. There's no redheaded stepchildren. There's no black sheep in God's family at all. Sorry for all the gingers I just uh, offended. I didn't mean it that way. You have souls, we know, all right? It doesn't matter where you start it. 
It's who he's made you to be. A citizen, a son, a daughter. You're not a black sheep. The third is this, that we're the temple of God. See it in 20 and 22. What does he say? Paul's painting this picture of a church that is under construction as God is adding new believers constantly. And those individual stones represent the believers, both Jewish and Gentile. And not only are we the temple of God built up together, but what did it say in verse 22? But we're the place where the spirit of God resides. We have a hard time having that concept, but this is where the, you know where the spirit of God resided, where God resided and met with man before Jesus? It was in the temple of the Holy of Holies and one person would go there once a year to be in the presence of God. And now the presence of God rests within you, every single one of you. And we're meant to be together as family, as a house that God is building up of faith. The word says this, a house divided against itself cannot stand. We have to stop being at war with ourselves. So the band comes up. Here's the question I have for you. Where is it in your life that you're not living like the piece of art that God's created you to be? Where is there a need of restoration of relationship? And why hasn't there? Is it because you lack grace? Hmm. And mercy because you don't think you need that much? Is it a place that you forgot that you're your brother and sister in Christ and we're meant to be together? Listen to me. One of the things that will stunt your growth towards God is when you refuse to reconcile your relationships with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because to move towards God, you're gonna have to move towards one another. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that you just haven't reconciled us individually, but you've reconciled us together to one another. Uh, Lord, that we're not alone in heaven, but we're in community of fellow believers. And so, Lord, I ask that we would live that out. God, thank you so much that when we look at the brokenness of our world, the brokenness on our campus, just the complete strife, Lord, there's an answer to that, and that's you. So, Lord, may we point people to the right things, but let us live that out first in our own relationships. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen.